Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uptana, and today we'll be discussing how to have a relationship with the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet and how to be the boundaries you express through words and intention. An aspect of working in the Akashics, which sometimes gets overlooked, is accessing, working with, and experiencing deities or gods. It's something badly represented in movies and TV, but actually rather common in indigenous spirituality, as well as more modern experiential practices such as Wicca, witchcraft, and paganism. This is in part why I create guided meditations with the goddesses on my YouTube channel and work with students on their personal connections with deities who have invited or welcomed them into relationship. In times of transition, when we're challenged with weaving a new path from what can seem like chaos, it's helpful to understand and even have a relationship with Sekhmet. A good way to do this, I've found, is to start from the beginning. Unfortunately, this isn't necessarily easy when it comes to many of the Egyptian gods. Ancient Egyptian culture wasn't interested in telling people what to believe or how to believe it. There was no central text to teach from and no authority who commanded people live one way or another. The culture of Egypt for thousands of years worked from the bottom up rather than the top down. They were tribal, sharing stories amongst themselves, passing information down from generation to generation, and utilizing what was known in a holistic way to heal, live in harmony, and see no dividing line between spiritual matters and the mundane. One consequence of this is origin stories for the Egyptian gods are mostly lost to us. They weren't written down, weren't used in ceremony or magic, since everyone already knew them and so died when the last person who knew them crossed over. Whatever was known of Sekhmet's beginnings are known only to her. What we do know is ancient Egyptians had a complex relationship with her. Like most intimate relationships, her interactions with humans couldn't be distilled down to one thing or one symbol. This didn't seem to bother the people any more than it bothers people when their family members are both loving to their children, but sometimes rude to their spouse. This in part explains why people's experiences of Sekhmet today are so varied and seemingly contradictory. Like the blind man and the elephant, often people are only able to experience one aspect of her and come to think this is all she is. In ancient Egypt, Sekhmet was seen as a goddess in her own right, but also an aspect of Hathor's healing nature and in an opposite or evil version of Hathor aligned with the chaos of Set. As Hathor was thought of as having seven healing aspects which would bring a person into emotional, physical, spiritual, mental balance so they could live a good life, Sekhmet was thought to be the seven arrows of correction. These could be punitive, dealing out punishment for negative behaviors and choices, or healing somewhat like surgery in that they could cut out what no longer serves in order to prevent any further damage. This wasn't just on the level of individuals, either. It could be her arrows would strike a person, like giving them a rash so they could detect a greater illness. However, it could be they gave one individual in a family a disease they would die of in order to create greater harmony in the family. 
or it could mean she struck down the enemies of the pharaoh in order to bring harmony and prosperity to the upper or lower kingdom, or both. As an agent of chaos, she was aligned, like Hathor, with the annual flooding or inundation. Due to the hot, wet nature of the delta, the inundation often brought diseases which seemed to flow through communities like bad air, striking indiscriminately. Or it could come in the form of animals from lions to alligators, snakes to scorpions, or even hippos hurting, maiming, and killing people as a means of disrupting the natural order. Many prayers were lifted up to Sekhmet in supplication to make such incursions stop, to prevent them before they happened, or to turn this wrath onto the enemies of the people. Sekhmet, as one of the eyes of Ra, was also seen as an offensive, protective force, where her rage and chaos could be used as a weapon. The pharaoh, as divine representative of Ra, would often call on Sekhmet to support him in his efforts to conquer, defend, and rule Egypt. There are a great many lion statues, both in alert repose and standing biped form, which represents Sekhmet and the Egyptians' desire to be both in her good graces as well as utilizing her abilities for their own ends. The key to understanding Sekhmet is seeing her not in her relationship with Hathor, but with Toth. The wisdom and medicine of Toth is, in part, language, knowledge, and intellectual knowing. He paves the way for those who wish to learn, who use communication in order to manifest, who are nurtured through words to expand into their full abilities, whether this be through intone ceremony or love poetry. Sekhmet's wisdom and medicine are about becoming through doing. She has no interest in intentions for their own sake. She pays no attention to declarations, arguments, attempts to persuade, promises, agreements, or personal truths. These are only relevant to her in their connection to the actions taken, life lived, and path walked. This should not be mistaken for being mindless, wild, ignorant, or naive. She is none of these things. She understands all of these mental and emotional activities in similar ways to Toth, but her focus is on how much they are used to avoid taking action, defer transforming into the goal, or prevent bringing things into being. Mostly, she ignores them. As to her, they're dust in a breeze which does nothing but accumulate where it shouldn't be, clog the sinuses, and irritate the eyes. Sekhmet looks for those who are willing to act on what they know to be true of themselves and others. Those who, no matter how badly, ineptly, or timidly, try to do something to live in harmony with who they are and create a life which supports this are of particular interest to her. This is in part why those who are in the process of deep personal transitions find they have big cat totems working with them, whether lion, mountain lion, puma, or leopard. She is all these things and is called naturally to support those beginning the journey to unfold themselves. Often, we put such journeys on a scale from easy to hard, which values the easy path full of synchronicities, opportunities, and discovery. We seek to avoid the hard path as if it's a punishment, failing, or enemy which extends our torment. One of the most common things Sekhmet points out to those who work with her is hard is relative. 
those who revel in the part of their path which seems easy are often shocked to find, once they've reached what they think is their destination, that the living of their desired life requires efforts the easy path didn't prepare them for. Also, strength isn't something which comes freely from within. Like muscle, it's only developed by working it. To have strength of purpose, you have to put weight on yourself, rely on your choices, and push against those things which would keep you from moving forward. Sekhmet sees no purpose in needless self-sacrifice. She knows no individual is defined by service to others. This denies the deity and dignity of the person and gives responsibility for them to those already in need. To her, it makes them a liability to the pride and a bad example to the young. It leaves them open to other predators who can take advantage and requires others to do more in order to keep things working. Hence, those who plead for help in continuing to keep going, keep serving without respite, to be defended without attempting protection, who wish for success without taking action or change through thoughts and prayers alone, get no response but the empty sound of wind over water. Sekhmet is particularly drawn to support those who work to create and maintain boundaries. She is known as a protector of women who have been or are being abused in their lives. Whether this is domestic violence, family dysfunction, hostile workplaces, racist microaggressions, or even internalized negative narratives, she seeks out people who are ready or already trying to help themselves move forward into a better way of being. Most often, the wisdom she begins with is B, the N-O. Too often, people simply say no. They spend days, weeks, or years telling themselves no in the face of their actions to the contrary. Or having the same argument over and over with their significant other, trying to get them to agree with a boundary, which they violate almost immediately afterwards. Words are necessary to clarify the truth of things, strip away confusion, and prepare the path with others, but once the words have been said, then doing is required. Often, we think of this as follow-through. If you tell a child there'll be a consequence for an action and then they do the action, the consequence should occur. But often it doesn't, as we give third, fifth, and tenth chances to get it this time. If you say you need someone to not do something, but you allow them to do it again without consequence, then you've validated they should both continue doing it and ignore what you say. Being the no means doing what you say you are going to do. If you say you're not going to talk about a subject any further, then don't, no matter how often someone else brings it up. If you say you're no longer going to engage in a type of behavior, then don't, and allow those around you to adjust to this new version of you. If you're not going to allow abusive behavior, then once you've stated this clearly, don't state it any further, and instead use the energy to act in a way necessary to make this a reality. This isn't to say such actions are easy. If they were, we'd all be doing them willy-nilly, right, left, and center. However, Sekhmet is not just willing, but eager to lend us her strength should we decide to do this. Wearing a medallion with her image, jewelry made of lion pieces such as claws or 
items made with beads in the shape of lions, allows the wearer access to her energies of defense, strength, protection, and empowerment. Like in the time of the pharaohs, she becomes the front line to support us in our endeavors and gives us the ability to grow into this new version of ourselves. And like the pharaohs, this means we need to focus not only on being the no, but in expanding into living our yes. It's as important to open ourselves to what we want as to defend ourselves against what we don't. Thoughts, prayers, and intentions are all well and good when working to manifest something into the world, but with Sekhmet, the point is to allow all this to move you into actions which will achieve the goal. While various manifesting systems teach thinking the right way will guide your actions, this fosters a misunderstanding of embodied life. Our thoughts and intentions are only as good as the next distraction and subject to the needs of our bodies, whether this be healthy or unhealthy. Just ask any addict or dieter for their experience in this regard. To manifest, we must consciously put our thoughts and intentions into our body. We must dance our intentions, eat our goals, commute our plans, and wear our knowingness throughout each day. We must act on what we desire in order to achieve what we wish to be. To have the life we wish to have, we need to start living it now, not in some indeterminate, wished-for future. Being a deity of the wild places, Sekhmet is also amused by our ability to ignore the fact we are neither the center of the universe nor separate from it. We are part of an interconnected world, just one being in an ecosystem much more vast than we can encompass. Her wisdom includes helping us to be aware of how we are a part of the world around us. No use in building a boat if we're nowhere near water, nor to learn to climb mountains if we're surrounded by it. So don't be dissuaded in what you want to achieve or become, but be fully present for where you are right now, the world you live in with all its possibilities and limitations, and work not only to manifest, but to place yourself where what you are manifesting makes the best, most beautiful, and harmonious sense. Sekhmet is not only a wise counselor when it comes to transforming our lives this way, but her skills are in working with us, walking beside us, being present for us while we do it. Yes, it's true that if you ask, you may receive. But with Sekhmet, it's start doing, and you'll find she's right beside you, handing you the tools. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can see all my other offerings and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.